0: The Australian Frequent Flyer Podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain Matt Graham now invites you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode.
1: G'day, welcome to episode 52 of AFF On Air and the first episode for 2021. It's Saturday the 23rd of January. Happy New Year firstly, and I hope you had a nice break over the Christmas holiday period. Well, when I recorded the last episode on the 12th of December 2020, things were looking really good in Australia. There was just one state border closed and it was due to reopen on Christmas Day, and that border from South Australia to Western Australia did in fact reopen on schedule. But sadly, as we all know, things otherwise didn't quite go to plan. There was a new COVID-19 outbreak in Sydney's northern beaches shortly after that last episode went to air, and there were also small outbreaks in Melbourne and Brisbane over the summer, which have caused havoc with state border restrictions over the holidays. So where are we now? Well, later in the episode, we'll look in more detail at the current state border restrictions, and also coming up, we'll discuss when international borders might be able to reopen and when travel might be able to return to normal as well as the plight of Australians currently trying to get home. And yes, you've probably noticed that the podcast does have a new intro. Believe it or not, AFF On Air recently celebrated its second birthday. So we decided it would be a good time to freshen up things a bit with some new music and also a new podcast artwork, which you might see if you're listening to this episode on a podcast streaming service. The background image, by the way, with the blue sky and the puffy white clouds is actually a photo that I took somewhere over Japan on a Japan Airlines flight to Tokyo a couple of years ago. This is the first major change we have made since the very first episode was released in December 2018, so I hope you like it. And although the podcast might sound a little different now, don't worry, we're not making any changes to the podcast format. Well, as always, let's begin this episode with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news. And today there is a bit more news to talk about than usual, since it has been over a month since the last episode. Well, let's start with an update on the Qantas and Virgin Australia airport lounges. Qantas has now reopened 30 of its 35 domestic airport lounges, while Virgin Australia has now reopened five of the seven lounges it plans to reopen. Virgin's lounges are now back up and running in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, the Gold Coast and Perth Terminal 1, although Virgin is currently only using the upper level of its Sydney lounge, and in Melbourne passengers are being sent to what used to be Virgin's VIP club lounge. I visited the Brisbane Lounge a couple of times over the summer break, and while it was nice to be back in the lounge, and it was pretty quiet and social distancing was observed well, unfortunately the catering was very limited. There was no hot food, just a few basics like apples, cereal and muffins in the morning, and there were sandwiches in the evening. And despite the limited food, Virgin has also now banned lounge guests from bringing in outside food. But I am pleased to say that the barista station was open and the coffee was excellent, and beer and wine was also available after 12pm. Unfortunately, both Qantas and Virgin are now restricting lounge access on arrival, so to passengers that have just come off a flight, and neither airline actually bothered to inform their customers of the change when they made them. Virgin Australia has removed this benefit for business class flyers, platinum and gold members indefinitely, while Qantas doesn't really seem to have a policy, although many Qantas platinum members who should be allowed to use the lounge after they arrive at their destination have reported that they were denied entry. Virgin Australia has now updated their website, but Qantas has not. Meanwhile, Qantas has permanently closed all of its airport meeting rooms, and it is permanently closing its valet parking services in Brisbane and Adelaide airports. In some happier news, Qantas will launch flights on seven new regional routes in early 2021, including to two new destinations. Qantas announced a raft of new regional routes late last year from Melbourne to Newcastle, Marimbula, Mount Gambia, Wagga Wagga and Albury. Qantas will also start flights from Sydney to Griffith and from Adelaide to Mount Gambia. The new flights will be operated by Qantas's regional subsidiary Qantas Link. The announcement enraged regional rival Rex, which currently has a monopoly on many of those routes, prompting Rex to complain once again to the ACCC. Rex, which is about to start Boeing 737 flights on Qantas and Virgin's lucrative Golden Triangle routes, complains that Qantas is trying to force it out of its profitable regional routes. Wearing a face mask is now mandatory on all domestic flights within Australia, following a decision by a National Cabinet a couple of weeks ago. Passengers and staff are also now required to wear a face mask inside all Australian airports, including in airport lounges, except for children under 12, people exempt for medical reasons, and when eating or drinking. Face masks have already been mandatory on domestic flights to or from Victoria for some time, but this is the first time a rule has been applied consistently nationwide. National Cabinet also recently made changes to international arrival caps, which I'll discuss later in the episode. Virgin Australia has removed all music from its in-flight entertainment content. The Virgin Australia Entertainment streaming app still features a limited number of movies, TV shows, games and podcasts, but there is no longer any music. By removing commercial music from its flights, Virgin no longer has to pay licensing fees, so this is a cost-cutting move. Now, in isolation, this wouldn't really be news because, as we all know, Virgin and other airlines have been making serious cost-cutting in lots of areas lately, not just when it comes to in-flight entertainment. And, in fact, Qantas still hasn't reinstated in-flight entertainment at all. But this is noteworthy because when Qantas did exactly the same thing in 2018, which generated a huge public backlash, Virgin made a huge song and dance about how it was, and I'll quote, a proud supporter of the Australian music industry, end quote. Virgin Australia says that it's currently reviewing its in-flight entertainment and Wi-Fi offerings alongside other changes it is making to the customer experience, and Virgin is expected to make further announcements about changes to its in-flight service, including a relaunch of business class in the coming months. Flybys has improved the rate at which points are transferred to Velocity Frequent Flyer, while also halving the minimum transfer amount. Flybys members can now transfer their points to Velocity in increments of 1,000 Flybys points, down from 2,000. And those 1,000 Flybys points are now worth 500 Velocity points, which is a 15% improvement in the transfer rate. Previously, Flybys members could convert 2,000 points to 870 Velocity points, although Flybys did run regular promotions where members could get some bonus points when transferring to Velocity every uh, anyway, and the bonus rate is really now what the everyday rate is. Last month, Flybyes flybys also introduced velocity auto transfer. This new feature automatically converts flybys points to velocity points every time 1000 flybys points are earned. Flybys members who opt-in before the end of January will also receive triple status credits at Coles on any spend made between the opt-in date and the end of January. Heading outside Australia's borders now, and the Qatar blockade that had prevented Qatar Airways from flying to or even over four countries is now over. In 2017, the countries of Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the United Arab Emirates all cut diplomatic ties with Qatar. As a result, Qatar Airways was no longer allowed to fly to those four countries, and airlines from those countries, including Emirates and Etihad, were likewise blocked from flying to Qatar. Qatar Airways has also, uh, since that blockade came in, had to take some quite circuitous routings to avoid flying over the airspace of those several neighbouring countries. But following months of negotiations led by Kuwait and the United States, diplomatic ties have now been reinstated between Qatar and the blockade countries. Qatar Airways and Saudia have now reinstated flights between Doha and Saudi Arabia, and Qatar Airways will also resume flights from Doha to Abu Dhabi and Dubai from next week. With overflight rights now also restored, Qatar Airways can now also shave over an hour off the flight times of some routes between Doha and Africa or South America. And on routes like Lagos to Doha, the time saving is now around two hours per flight now that Qatar Airways is allowed to fly over the airspace of those four countries. The Australian government implemented a new requirement from yesterday for arriving international passengers to receive a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of their flight to Australia. Other countries including the United States also are now requiring pre-flight COVID-19 testing for international arrivals. This week, Joe Biden became the new US president, and on his second day in the job, President Biden also announced that anyone arriving in the United States on an international flight will soon be required to quarantine. The USA has already been banning arrivals from the European Union, the UK, China, Brazil and Iran, although US residents have been exempt from those travel bans, and only travellers from the UK until now have been required to get a COVID-19 test before flying to the US. Until this point, there have been virtually no other specific COVID-19 restrictions on travel to the USA from anywhere else. Virgin Australia has formed a new partnership with Air Canada, allowing Velocity Frequent Flyer members to earn points and status credits when flying with Air Canada. Likewise, Canadians can now earn Aeroplan points when flying with Virgin Australia. Air Canada Aeroplan points can also now be redeemed to book Virgin Australia flights, And Velocity intends to reciprocate for its own members, although at the moment Velocity continues to suspend all international flight redemptions temporarily. The partnership does not currently include elite status benefits, such as lounge access for Velocity members when flying with Air Canada. Meanwhile, Qantas and Japan Airlines have applied to launch a commercial joint venture, similar to the arrangement with Qantas and Emirates or Qantas and China Eastern. Uh, that would allow them to coordinate schedules and airfares. The two airlines claim that the partnership would result in more choice and better benefits for frequent flyers, and they've also touted the possibility of launching a new route between Australia or New Zealand and Japan. But there are some concerns that this could push up airfares. Qantas and Japan Airlines control a combined 70% of the market between Australia and Japan. Virgin Australia will not return to Papua New Guinea when international flights resume. Virgin had been operating to the capital Port Moresby from Brisbane on weekdays before COVID-19 hit, under a co-chair arrangement with Alliance Airlines. But a recent commercial policy update issued to travel agents refers to Port Moresby as a withdrawn destination, putting it in the same category as Tonga and the Cook Islands, which Virgin has also already announced it will not be returning to. Emirates has unveiled the much-anticipated new premium economy seats to be installed on a selection of its Airbus A380s and its new Boeing 777X aircraft when they arrive. The spacious premium economy recliner seats are 19.5 inches wide and offer up to 40 inches of legroom, which is 2 inches more than Qantas' premium economy seats. While the hard product looks pretty nice, it's still unclear what kind of catering or soft service Emirates plans to give its premium economy passengers, but being Emirates, it'll probably be pretty good. And before you get too excited though, it could take some time before Emirates Premium Economy arrives in Australia. Emirates is currently only installing the seats on its last remaining six A380s which still need to be delivered from Airbus over the coming year. And currently, there is only one A380 with the new seats. That aircraft is currently being used exclusively on flights EK3 and EK4 between Dubai and London Heathrow. Emirates is not yet selling premium economy seats actually on these flights, um, but instead, they're giving them as free upgrades to frequent flyers flying between Dubai and London. The frequent shopper club loyalty program of Woolworths in Tasmania will close down next Tuesday. Tasmanian Woolworths customers are being encouraged to sign up to Everyday Rewards in place of the Frequent Shopper Club. From the 1st of March, Freedom customers will no longer be able to earn Velocity Points when buying furniture from the retailer. And finally, Velocity Frequent Flyer will no longer be associated with the Velocity Global Wallet Travel Money Debit Card from the 1st of February, with cardholders no longer able to earn Velocity Points with the product from that date. Velocity announced last year that it's winding down the Global Wallet product. If you have a Velocity Global Wallet card, you'll also need to withdraw any funds left on it by the end of this month to avoid having to pay a fee to get your money back. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by following Australian Frequent Flyer on Facebook or subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Well, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, state border closures continue to be a problem for airlines, travellers and tourism businesses in Australia. Many state governments have taken a cautious approach to the pandemic, which is fair enough, but some state leaders have come under criticism for being too cautious, closing off even to entire states with no warning due to just uh, one or two cases in some cases um, of COVID-19 in the state. The yo-yo of state borders opening and closing has continued over the last summer, as we know, with almost every state and territory blocking travellers from Greater Sydney at some point, and in a few cases, the whole state of New South Wales over the Christmas holidays. Some states also placed restrictions on travel from Queensland and Victoria over the summer. So first of all, what are the current rules, and... I mean, these can change from time to time. As we've seen, they can change very quickly. But I thought I'd just go through what the current restrictions are for travel to each of the Australian states and territories. So first of all, anyone can enter the ACT from anywhere in Australia unless they've been at this point to the Cumberland local government area in Sydney in the last 14 days. With New South Wales, uh, anyone from any state is welcome into New South Wales and there's no permit required. Northern Territory still considers nine local government areas in Sydney as hotspots, those are Blacktown, Burwood, Canada Bay, Canterbury Bankstown, Cumberland, Fairfield, Inner West, Parramatta and Strathfield. So anyone that's been to those local government areas in the last fourteen days would need to quarantine on arrival into the Northern Territory. And anyone arriving in the border in the, in the Northern Territory needs to complete a border entry form. Um, At the moment, Queensland is closed to people that have been in Greater Sydney in the last 14 days, which includes the Blue Mountains, Central Coast and Wollongong. South Australia is currently closed to people from Greater Sydney, the New South Wales, Central Coast or Wollongong. And there are some additional requirements for people coming from other parts of New South Wales in terms of getting tested Um, But South Australia has now reopened to Greater Brisbane and the South Australian government has flagged that travel from Sydney to South Australia might be possible from the 31st of January if there are no further Community COVID 19 transmission cases in Sydney until then. With Tasmania, currently 10 local government areas of Sydney are considered medium-risk areas by the Tasmanian government, which means that travellers coming from those areas or who have been in those areas the last 14 days would need to self-isolate after arriving in Tasmania. Um, Those include all of the local government areas listed by the Northern Territory, which I said before, and also Liverpool, which for some reason is not included in the Northern Territory's list but is in Tasmania's. Um, And to enter Tasmania from anywhere else, it is allowed but you would need to fill out a G2G pass declaration. Victoria has implemented a somewhat confusing traffic light system for entry to the state based on where you've been also in the last 14 days. If you're coming from a red zone, you're not allowed to enter Victoria. Um, And at the moment, the only red zone is the Cumberland local government area in Sydney once again. Um, The rest of Greater Sydney has just been moved into the yellow zone. So the yellow zone, if you're coming from a yellow zone area, you are allowed to enter Victoria with a permit. However, you need to get a COVID-19 test within three days of arriving in Victoria and self-isolate for that whole time until after you've got a negative result. And at the moment, the yellow zone is Greater Sydney, excluding that Cumberland local government area, Blue Mountains and Wollongong. The rest of Australia is currently a green zone, which means you can enter Victoria. You just need to apply for a permit before you arrive. And Western Australia has probably the most strict uh, border rules in the country. At the moment, there are four states and territories designated by Western Australia as being very low risk. Those are the Northern Territory, South Australia, Tasmania and the ACT. So if you're coming from those four states, you can enter West Australia without quarantining, but you do need to complete a G2G pass declaration. Um, However, if you have knowingly come in contact with anyone who has been in uh, uh, in any other state and territory which is considered low risk or medium risk in the last 14 days, you would also be subject to the same quarantine conditions in Western Australia as they would be. And so those other states are Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. So Victoria is currently considered low risk, meaning the entry is permitted, but travellers would need to self-isolate for 14 days after arriving in Western Australia and get a COVID test after 11 days. New South Wales and Queensland are still considered medium risk by Western Australia, meaning arrivals from those states are not permitted at all without an exemption and quarantine for two weeks is required. If you want any more information about that, I have all of this is listed in the article, which I've linked in the episode notes. It's called Overview of Australian State Border Restrictions, and in that article there's also links to all of the relevant state government website pages where you can find more information about any of those restrictions. Now, as I said, some of these state borders have been a bit controversial. All of the state premiers will say that they're simply doing what's necessary to protect the health of their state, and I don't think anyone really argues that they shouldn't do that. That's, of course, um, their right to do that. But there has been renewed criticism, particularly over the summer holidays, which is usually a a hugely important and busy time for tourism operators, Um, from industry leaders and even uh, from the Premier of New South Wales, that some of the state border closures have been uh, disproportionate and have done more harm than good. Qantas CEO Alan Joyce in particular has been quite outspoken in his displeasure around domestic border closures. He's been calling for months for a consistent national approach to border closures. And honestly, after having a look at all the different state border policies in detail this week, I would have to agree with him. Um, Every state has their own system with different rules and different hotspot definitions, um, which um, in many cases contradictory. And I mean, the different states can't even agree on a definition of what's greater Sydney or even which local government areas in Sydney are currently COVID hotspots. So I gave you the example before about the Northern Territory not including Liverpool in the list of hotspots, even though most other states have. And for some reason, the Norfolk Island also seems to be using the same list as the Northern Territory, so they're not considering Liverpool a hotspot, while others are. Uh, it, it gets really quite confusing. And according to Alan Joyce, some of the border changes have also been more politically motivated than proportionate to the actual health risk. Last year, the amount of money spent in Australia on overnight trips... Uh, and I'm talking about tourism here fell by 47% according to the tourism research council and day trip spending fell by 37%. So, and it's, it's so the tourism office, operators are struggling a lot at the moment and the situation is not getting better yet. And domestic border closures aren't just preventing people from travelling now. The uncertainty around borders which might close in the future is also stopping people from booking travel into the future. And that's a disaster for airlines, hotels and other tourism businesses which desperately need the cash flow. Simon Westway is the Executive Director of the Australian Tourism Industry Council and he says that open domestic borders and confidence that they can stay effectively open through consistency and certainty in government decisions is the catalyst to get Australians willing to safely travel again. And he says that the latest domestic border situation has precipitated major cancellations in current and future bookings, as reported by tourism operators, and heavily knocked any intention of future travel. So, with the risk that state borders could close at any moment, can we be confident to book plane tickets and to book travel at the moment? Well, if you're travelling to another state in particular, you don't really know um, whether the borders are going to shut. And thousands of travellers learnt the hard way over the last summer, um, getting stuck interstate um, by sudden border changes. And I think this will put a lot of people off booking travel in advance, I mean, even I've stopped booking flights more than about a day or two in advance at the moment, and I, I would normally book up to a year in advance. Qantas, Virgin, and Jetstar all recognize this, and they are offering additional flexibility um, in terms of being allowed to change your flight for free or cancel for a credit voucher. Um, Qantas is allowing one free change or fee-free change. You might have to pay a fair difference, but there won't be a change fee um, on domestic travel until the 31st of March. Virgin is similarly allowing. Well, actually, they're going a bit beyond. They're allowing unlimited free changes. Um, just a fair difference may apply if the if the new fare is of a higher value, and um, you can also cancel for a credit voucher for any reason. Um, and that's for until the thirty first of March for travel until the thirtieth of June. At this point, although these these um, flexibility offers do continue to be extended um jetstar is not offering free changes at the moment but you can pay extra at the time of booking for a product called fair credit which allows you to cancel your booking for a jetstar credit voucher for any reason and at any time after booking uh, Just to give you an example i had a look um for a 169 dollar fare from sydney to perth it would cost around 27 dollars to buy the fair credit add-on Of course, though, if the airlines cancel your flight, you might be eligible for a refund under their policies, under the Fair Rules or under Australian Consumer Law. But if you are booking domestic flights at the moment, my recommendation would actually be to use frequent flyer points, because using points offers by far the most flexibility. Currently, both Qantas Frequent Flyer and Velocity Frequent Flyer are giving unlimited free free changes and free cancellations for any reason on reward flight bookings until the 31st of March. For Velocity bookings, that covers travel dates up to the 30th of June at this point. And for Qantas, it's travel anytime as long as you make the change by the 31st of March. Although, again... these deadlines will probably be extended as they have been continuously over the last year and as it happens using points for domestic flights is also excellent value It's nothing to be ashamed of there domestic airfares have been particularly expensive lately you might have noticed if you've been searching for flights Uh, but reward flights cost a fixed number of points Um, and so they're they're consistent um, in terms of pricing and in general, at the moment, domestic award availability is pretty good too. You can get availability on most flights, or at least, you know, there'll be some options for you. And I know that redeeming points to go to Hobart or Adelaide or Cairns is not as attractive as redeeming points to go to London or New York, um, although maybe now it is actually. But in any case, with borders internationally closed, the, you know going to London or New York is not really an option right now anyway. Uh, And those points, um, if you've got them sitting in your account, you might as well use some of them, I reckon. The value of domestic reward flights can be just as good or even better than international redemptions anyway. And if you don't believe me, I did the maths in a recent AFF article, which is called Domestic Reward Flights Can Still Be Great Value. And again, it's linked in the episode notes for this episode. But to give you an example, Qantas charges $360 for a one-way economy class flight from Darwin to Alice Springs. That's just the lowest ready deal fare, believe it or not. Um, But you could book a classic flight reward for 12,000 Qantas points and $65 copayment. So at that rate, you're getting around two and a half cents per point in value, which is actually a lot more than you'd get for an economy redemption to Europe, for example. Um, yes, of course, you can get a bit more value for business class redemptions, but um, the, those domestic flights are still pretty good value at the moment. So don't be ashamed to use your points for flights, particularly when the um, when those reward bookings offer so much more flexibility than paid tickets. Want to learn how to maximise the value in frequent flyer programs? If you're new to the frequent flyer points game, or perhaps you'd like to perfect your travel hacking strategy, you may be interested in the frequent flyer training program offered by our sister website, frequent flyer solutions. The frequent flyer solutions training consists of 10 easy to follow online courses with topics including credit cards, earning, buying and redeeming points, airline status, hotel and supermarket loyalty programs, and how to find cheap flights. If you don't have hours to sift through online forums, the training explains clearly all of the tricks and strategies you need to know to make the most of your frequent flyer points and loyalty programs. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. Well, we've spoken so far about domestic travel, but what about international travel? Well, for starters, uh, I want to talk about the situation for those returning to Australia right now. Two weeks ago, the National Cabinet announced a further reduction in the number of Australians to arrive into the country each week. And at the moment, the arrival caps uh, are currently reduced quite substantially, and they're only uh, set to revert to the old levels on the 15th of February, which was confirmed after yesterday's meeting. Uh, At the moment, the weekly arrival cap into South Australia is 490 passengers. In Queensland, it's only 500 passengers, and that's a 50% reduction. Uh, In Western Australia, 512 passengers a week, again, a 50% reduction. In Victoria, they're allowing at the moment up to 1,120 passengers per week. Um, That's not excluding the Australian open arrivals from last week, which are uh, being done separately, and they came in on charter flights. And uh, in New South Wales, it's 1,505 a week, which is again a temporary 50% reduction. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, has defended the caps and what they're doing for Australians trying to get home. Let's have a listen to what he said yesterday after the National Cabinet meeting in regard to repatriation flights.
0: We've facilitated so far 70 and now we've put on an additional 20. As I said, we've provided some almost $20 million in hardship support to people overseas. Our first priority, as premiers and chief ministers and I reaffirm today, is the health and safety within Australia. And then to seek to bring us and support as uh, many Australians are seeking to come home as possible. And we've been able to maintain that. As I said, we've had some, you know, almost 79,000 people that have been able to do that since the middle of September. And uh, at that time, at that time, um, there are only around about 26,000-odd who have registered uh, to come home at that point. Uh, So we've significantly exceeded the amount of people we thought we'd be able to get home over that period. But, of course, there are more, given the deterioration in the situation around the world since that time. Uh, that are seeking to do that. And that's why we're supporting them through the Hardship Fund, the additional charter flights, um, and seeking to maintain as much capacity as we can. But ultimately, that's also going to be conditional on the on the quarantine requirements. I mean, we, we have to put uh, the public health and safety uh, within our borders first.
1: So as you can see, Scott Morrison's quite happy with the job that the government's doing with bringing Australians home. But the many tens and thousands of Australians stuck overseas at the moment would probably disagree. The capacity at Howard Springs has recently been increased slightly from 250 to 425 people per week, which is excellent. And the government has announced an an additional 20 Qantas repatriation flights from destinations where there are a lot of Australians stuck, which is also really good. Now, just a note on these repatriation flights... Um, they're not free tickets. The tickets are actually quite expensive and the travellers do have to pay their own tickets. But they are still much better than a commercial flight. And there's two reasons for this. Firstly, the commercial flights are even more and very significantly more expensive. And secondly, if you can get a seat on one of those repatriation flights, they're much more safe in terms of actually getting a guaranteed seat on one of those flights. There have been a lot of reports of people booking commercial tickets and then getting bumped off the flight at the last minute and then stuck without a ticket for months. So the problem really at the moment with repatriation flights is though is that the seats are in such high demand that the seats are selling out in minutes. And lucky few have been able to secure a seat, which is great, but most haven't. And for those relying on commercial flights to get back to Australia now, the situation is even more dire than uh, it was last year when I had on a, a lady who was stuck in the Netherlands who had had to set up a GoFundMe page just to be able to book a ticket back in about a month from uh, when she made the booking there are currently 30 international airlines flying to australia and there's around 50 international routes operating now that may sound like a lot but most of those airlines are operating at a very reduced frequency of just one or two passenger flights per week what's more because of the arrival caps the airlines may only carry a very small number of passengers per flight which is around 25 to 50 people per flight depending on the destination And the Australians abroad say that those arrival caps are the number one reason they're having so much trouble getting home. There are now so many Australians trying to return. Um, The government keeps quoting the number of people registered with DFAT. In reality, many people are not registered with DFAT, so the number is actually much higher than the thirty or 40,000 that keeps being quoted in the media. Um, But there are so few seats to go around that there are virtually no seats available for weeks or even months on many routes. All the seats are simply sold out, and the next available seats are generally only for full-price business or first-class tickets. Some people are being forced now to pay upwards of $25,000 just for a one-way ticket to Australia. To make matters worse, Emirates recently withdrew flights from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, citing difficulties with the arrival caps and operational difficulties because of the onerous new requirements for the testing and quarantine of crew members. Emirates did yesterday announce it would reinstate those flights next week, though, which was news welcomed by Scott Morrison.
0: You know, Emirates coming back in is welcome. We think that's great. Because remember, it's not just um, those who are coming on these flights. I mean, these flights also carry important supplies. There's freight that are involved in these air services and they're going into our major capital cities. And um, that is important for um, supply chains on a whole range of different goods and services.
1: For Australians currently trying to get back from Europe, the next available flights are pretty much all via the United States. But the trouble is those in Europe are unable to transit via the United States at all at the moment due to the U.S. border closure to people from Europe and a lack of international transit facilities at U.S. airports. So those flights are actually useless to people in Europe. And then and the next commercial options um, via other routes are literally months away. I recently searched for available seats on all 50 of the uh, routes currently being operated into Australia and as a matter of interest, I could only find available seats in the coming weeks on six routes. Those were all on routes departing from Fiji, Indonesia, and Brunei back to Australia. There were no seats on any other flights um, inbound into Australia in the, ne- in the next few weeks. Um, now, so those are six options. However, those flights aren't much use to Australians who aren't already in those three specific countries. Indonesia and Brunei both currently have outright bans on international transit passengers, so people can't transit through Indonesia or Brunei to Australia. And there are very few international flights from destinations other than Australia and New Zealand at the moment to Fiji. So that's currently the situation for Australians stuck overseas, but let's now look a bit further into the future, and the question really that everybody's asking is, when is international travel to Australia likely to resume? There's been a lot of uh, discussion and speculation in the media this week, so I wanted to break this down a little bit. Earlier this month, Qantas reopened international bookings from July 2021 in the hope that the vaccine rollout would allow international borders to reopen at some level by around July. This generated a huge amount of excitement and free publicity for Qantas. Um... But in my opinion, it is hugely optimistic, and I am personally doubtful that most of those Qantas flights that Qantas is currently selling tickets for in July will actually operate. The Transport Minister Michael McCormack agrees, within hours of Qantas opening international ticket sales for July, McCormack released a statement saying that operations and ticket sales are commercial decisions for airlines, but that decisions about when international travel resumes will be made by the Australian government, not Qantas, and he added that international borders will be reopened when international arrivals do not pose a risk to Australians. This is really where the vaccines come into the picture and they're really going to be crucial to returning some sort of normality to international travel. That's become quite clear recently. Last Monday morning, Professor Brendan Murphy, who was the former chief medical officer, appeared on ABC News Breakfast. And when he was asked whether he thought international travel in and out of Australia would return this year, his answer was probably not. Professor Murphy thinks that that uh, we'll go most of this year with still substantial border restrictions, even if we have a lot of the population vaccinated. And he says this is because we don't know whether that will prevent transmission of the virus. Now, that position is not set in stone by any means, though. In the same interview, Professor Murphy acknowledged that the world is changing, and throughout this pandemic, the government has had to adapt to the rules as new information has emerged. And for this reason, Murphy doesn't want to predict more than two or three months ahead. So really, that's um, his, that's his best guess, but we really don't know. The current chief medical officer, Paul Kelly, did echo Brendan Murphy's comments at a press conference the following day. He said that even if vaccines start to be rolled out in Australia in a few weeks, which is the current timeline, everything won't suddenly snap back to normal immediately. And he thinks that international borders will be one of the last things to revert to normal. But Prime Minister Scott Morrison has left open the possibility of borders reopening sooner rather than later. He said that there'll be a week by week review uh, ongoing throughout this year of the medical advice and the vaccine rollout. And if the medical advice is that it's safe to bring the borders down sooner, then the government will consider it. Whether this will be a gradual reopening or initially, you know, just with a few travel bubbles, or whether it'll, whether the, all of the borders will come down at once, does remain to be seen. The question of whether the vaccines will prevent transmission of the virus is really the key one at this point. We know that the vaccines are going to be safe and effective at preventing disease, but there's still insufficient data to say whether or not a vaccinated person can spread COVID-19 to an unvaccinated person. If the vaccines do prevent infection, or at least reduce it, this would make it likely that a vaccinated person should be allowed to travel because they don't pose a risk to the country that they're arriving into. Presumably, they would need to show some sort of vaccination certificate or passport for entry to many countries, at least for the um, short-to-medium-term future. Now, some or all of the vaccines may well prevent infection, but at this point, we just don't know because the um, we just don't have enough data yet. If the vaccines only prevent people from getting sick, then a large majority of Australia's population, um, you know, at least enough to get some level of herd immunity, would probably need to be vaccinated before international borders could be safely reopened. And um, that's really the basis under which uh, Professor Murphy thinks that the borders would uh, probably remain until about the end of the year. Now, although this is subject to change, the government's current timeline would see most Australians who want to be immunised receiving a COVID-19 vaccine by about October. So, in theory, this could mean that international borders could start to open up by around then, uh, even if vaccines aren't uh, aren't entirely effective at preventing infection. If they are um, effective at preventing infection, then that could actually speed things up, though, and my fingers and toes are certainly crossed. As a matter of interest... Last week, the Seychelles, which is a small island nation in the Indian Ocean, announced that it is removing its quarantine requirement, effective immediately, for international arrivals who can prove they have been vaccinated and also receive a negative COVID-19 test result. Once the majority of the adult population in the Seychelles is also vaccinated, which is expected to happen by around mid-March this year, the country will also start to welcome in non-vaccinated tourists. Now, obviously, the situation in the Seychelles is quite different. Firstly, the Seychelles is a much smaller country to Australia. Its population is around 100,000, which is you know a quarter of the size of just Canberra. And it's much more heavily reliant on international tourism. So there is a much higher imperative for a country like the Seychelles to reopen the country's borders a lot sooner. But it's interesting to see how they're approaching this. Um, they are one of a few countries that are now banking on the vaccine preventing infection, something Australia is probably not going to do until there is enough scientific evidence to prove this. Either way, though, you would have to think, based on what we know now, that some form of normal international travel to and from Australia will be back by probably at the latest by next Christmas, if not um, considerably earlier. So at least it's unlikely that um, the current restrictions will still be in place next year and beyond that. So there's some, some reason for optimism there. Until then, though, there'll be no doubt lots more speculation in the media and on social media and no, sh- no shortage of clickbait headlines either saying that international travel is going to resume very soon or not for many years and anything in between. There's been so many articles on this and most of them contradict each other. But at this point, the truth is nobody really knows. And I don't think anybody can really predict what's going to happen in six months, nine months, 12 months with any degree of certainty. But um, what's looking clear now is that this is really going to come down to when the vaccines are rolled out and how effective they are. Before I go today, I just wanted to draw your attention to a current Velocity Frequent Flyer promotion. If you are a Velocity Frequent Flyer member, you can now earn some free points by downloading the Velocity app and activating the offer on the home screen by the 26th of January. So there are 20 million Velocity points up for grabs in total, and Velocity says it will give an equal share of the pie to each member who activates the offer on their smartphone by Australia Day. The offer is available to adults aged 18 and over, and we estimate that everyone who takes part um, will probably get around roughly 160 to 200 free velocity points, so if you're listening to this podcast on your smartphone and you already have the velocity app downloaded, why not go in there now and activate the offer on the home screen and you'll get some free points, um, which will probably get posted by around the end of February according to the offer terms and conditions. And if you don't yet have the Velocity app, you can download it now from the App Store on Apple or the Google Play Store. Um, Open up the app and activate the offer as well um, to get your share of the points. Well, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. As always, thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels.